Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Now, let's hear some faith-building teaching from our pastors. Amen. I met Sister several years ago. She ministers in song as well. That's why I thought the children might like to stay. And she's going to minister to us in song. I realized it was, I think, 1988 when I first heard you minister. I know. <laughs> yeah, Leanna was about nine months old. And uh, that's the one playing bass. So she was just a little crawling around and making, making herself known to the world. And, and I met Sister, so full of joy, with a ministry that, that we haven't had much of because of these last couple of years. And I don't think you've gone out too much either, except we've all been using Zoom and had to learn some new things. And you can imagine that for an evangelist, someone whose heart is for souls, heart is for people to know that they are going to be in heaven and, and securely there. And that's what she's given her life to. And I'm so grateful to have met her. And just the joy and the exuberance of a, a loving Savior, knowing it and seeing many miracles. She's traveled a lot in Europe. Like, France is not easy. You think it's difficult here in Surrey. France is a whole new ball game and difficult land. And I've heard many of her stories. We actually, can you imagine? So once you see her, you'll think about this later. But the two of us ministered together in a couple of churches in Calgary, and Calgary was never the same. <laughs> <laughs> the wonderful thing about it is, even when we began this service, I didn't ask Bethany to sing those songs she chose. But we trust the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. And in the, even in those meetings where we ministered together in Calgary, we didn't talk about what the Lord put on his heart, and the Lord just knit the words together so beautifully. I know that she's here for the right time. It's a time of salvation. We believe Surrey is a city of salvation. We're believing for salvation for the nation. And so would you stand upon your feet? Welcome our, my great sister and friend and partner in ministry. She's got great books. She's going to talk a little bit about them, and she's going to sing. Come here. Oh, you've got your own microphone. <laughs> Amen. Let me hug you, though. <laughs> Love you. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, sister. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Well, howdy. <laughs> it is an honor to be with you today. Thank you, Pastor Gwen, for making this opportunity and uh, for letting me come to be with you. And thank you all for coming and for your beautiful worship. The worship team, thank you for leading us today. Uh, it is such an honor to be able to be here. It's always an honor to be able to be together in the family of God and to worship Jesus. That's what we're here for. Just let me ask, how many of you have I never met before? Never? Okay, so we got about three quarters. Uh, well, and uh, sister, uh, brother and sister Norm and Irene Trebek, I've known them for a long time too. <laughs> They're from Saskatchewan, too. They let them out, too. <laughs> I'm very glad to see you folks. They were friends again. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, uh, I just want to, uh, I'll just do the pub right away. The publicity we got on the table back there. Uh, three titles of country gospel music. How many like country gospel music? Yeah, for you too, that's great. Uh, for the rest of you, I would invite you to buy some now. Do your Christmas shopping early and buy them for your grandparents. You know, this is really quite uh, appreciated country music. Uh, you know, I'm from Saskatchewan and every radio station plays country, even CBC. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, on occasion. Um, but anyway, we also have some books, and I didn't realize until I started looking it over. I was here the last time. Uh, I, I actually was looking for the other church. Um, and I realized the last time I was here was in April 2016. So that's six years ago. And uh, so uh, that's quite amazing. Uh, how time goes by, and I think there actually are two or three new books, at least two. Uh, so we have these three. I'll just mention first uh, these three books, easy reading books. Every page is a different story, little stories uh, uh, of my adventures as I've traveled in many places. They're sort of like chicken soup books, and they're sort of like our daily bread books, and they're sort of like Reader's Digest, and they're sort of not like any of the above. So they're little stories of my adventures and which I try to find spiritual lessons uh, for daily life. So they're very easy reading. This is the new book. It has definitely never been here before, The Midnight Song. Uh, above the storm, join the journey. So these three larger books, they're all written in the same style with different stories. Little stories like, what is the spiritual lesson when I was in Denmark and I jumped in the wrong car with the wrong man? <laughs> you know, you should have seen the look on his face. <laughs> his face was priceless. Anyway, uh, and, then, uh, and then we have... Uh, these three books, which have a very strong message, I believe, uh, and a very important message for the world in which we live today. Uh, I had before with me, Choose to Live Life. It's about the power of choice. You are today the result of the choices you made yesterday. You will be tomorrow the result of the choices you make today. You can't change your circumstances, maybe, but you can always change your attitude. You can always change your attitude. Uh, this uh, Choose a Changed Mind. During COVID, I was doing a lot of Zooms based on this. In fact, uh, my friend Irene and Norman, they joined me for one of the Zooms uh, that we did with this book uh, for several sessions. Choose a Changed Mind. And I have been so amazed when I have found Christians struggling with depression and despair. And it, it troubled me. That's why I wrote the book. Because most of what I have observed, the reason that they're dis in despair and dis depressed is because of the way they think. Do you want me to tell you your future? I can tell you your future. You just tell me what you're thinking about. So this little book, Choose 
uh, a changed mind. Uh, I, I find, uh, and then the, this one has definitely not been here either. I think it was published in uh, 17. So this one also is new. Choose a contented heart. <laughs> Choose a contented heart. You know, the power of choice affects every area of our life. And I, these are just three that I brought out. But you know, um, you know what? In our world of materialism and and striving and struggling, uh, you know, you can choose. You can choose to have a contented heart. You know what? Eve had the whole world. Eve had the whole world. You know that? She she had all the gold, silver, and diamonds. She had she had no laundry. Ah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you think about it. She had the whole world. She really had it made, and probably not many dishes or you know and stuff like that, and no no ironing. Uh, I mean, it was awesome. And and besides that, she had the only man in it. You know, for better or for worse. <laughs> no competition <laughs> and no choice. <laughs> yeah, no choice. Uh, and if he was having a bad day and grumbling. Uh, about her, all she had to say was, well, look where I came from. <laughs> uh, you know what? She had the whole world except one thing. She had the whole world except one thing. She did not have the right to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the devil caused her to concentrate on the one thing in the world she did not have. And she came to a place where she was willing to give up everything to get the one thing she did not have. That, my friends, is often the root of much of our sin. Whether it's searching for possessions or positions, relationships, whatever. Searching for the things that we don't have. You know what? God wants us to have a contented heart. Anyway, if you want more, you have to buy the book. And uh, my friend uh, is going to be there to take your money. Uh, anybody's going to, well, whatever, is going to take the money. And uh, uh, so you just, uh, like I said, spend to your heart's content. And if you didn't bring any money with you, you just reach into the pocket beside you and spend to your heart's content. Okay, let's have it. That's your signal. The music, please. I picked the least country song I could, just for you folks. You may be disappointed by the way life has gone. Your heart has been broken You feel rejected and alone When it seems all is lost And despair takes its toll God works all things for your good He's got it under control God is still on
exactly what's happening. I want you to turn with me to two scripture that we're going to start with today. I'm going to read first, if you would turn with me to Psalm 30 and verse 5. Psalm 30 and verse 5. Now I'm going to read from the Old King James translation because that's the one that I memorized when I was a kid. And I know where the stuff is, but all many translations have good stuff to add. Psalm 30 and verse 5. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I want to take that last phrase again. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Uh, I appreciated what Pastor Gwen said right at the beginning about joy. And uh, several of the songs were talking about this. So uh, I, feel, I, I, I take that as a confirmation of what I'm going to share. Now I would like you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And uh, most of my thoughts are taken from 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I'm going to read, just to give a context of my thoughts this morning, the first six verses, 1 Samuel chapter 30. 
And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. Verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So I'm going to just go back and review a little bit of this story. How that David was anointed as the king when he was probably, I don't know, 15, 14, 15, 16 years old. Just a very young man, but old enough to be looking after sheep. And so then he knows his anointing. And then there is the episode of Goliath in which God gives David the ability and to kill Goliath. And then because he's a great musician, he is called in by times to play music, anointed music, that seems to uh, chase the devils that are tormenting Saul. And Saul also sees him as a powerful a potential leader in his army. But then, because David has so much success, and the women start singing songs like, Saul is killing his thousands, but David is killing his ten thousands. And so Saul becomes intensely, murderously jealous of David. And so David has to flee and run for his life, so he's running all over the place, and and he gradually collects a number of other outcasts and, and uh, rejects. Uh, people that nobody else wants and who, who for the most part have gotten into some kind of a problem with King Saul. Because probably something to do with taxes. <laughs> uh, but also uh, various other things that are happening. And so David... Uh, he kind of collects these renegades and rejects, and he begins to train them and teach them. Now, he was a powerful leader. As I was studying for this, I thought, wow, we talk about leadership. This guy had what it took to lead men. Really? I was quite amazed uh, as how he could take these 600 rejects and beat them into a personal army. <laughs> yeah, you know, or train them. And so much so they were willing to die for him. Wow. I don't know of anybody that died for me. <laughs> Except Jesus. He did. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like this, he was a 
a tremendous capacity for leadership. Nevertheless, so they're still being chased all over the country by King Saul and his army. And a very interesting little note that King Saul was so busy chasing David that he was losing his vision of defeating the enemy. There are a lot of Christians and churches that are so busy arguing and fussing among each other and getting totally distracted and disturbed about stuff that has nothing to do with spiritual warfare, nothing to do with the souls of man. And so they're all in a flap about this and all in a flap about that. And they're all busy fighting each other instead of going after their true enemy. Very important. So anyway, one day David says to his men, you know, if we hang around here, we're going to get killed. You know, this, this is getting serious now. So they went into the land of the Philistines. I find it amazing that he was able to build a relationship with the uh, Philistine king. And the king probably felt honored to have such a powerful warrior in his land. And so he gave David and his men the town of Ziklag, a Philistine city. And David and his 600 men and all of their wives and kids, they just moved into the city and took it over. And so they lived there about a year. Living in the land of the enemy, doing the work of God from the other side. And they'd sneak out on weekends and wipe out entire cities of other kind of ites nearby, you know, like Hittites and flea bites and things like that. <laughs> uh, they were wiping them out, and nobody, nobody was left alive to escape to tell the Philistine king, you know, this guy, look what he's doing. It didn't seem that he attacked Philistines during that time. But he, he cleaned the clocks of several other different ites and groups. And then one day they came back from one of these escapades. And somebody, it was the Malachites actually, who had attacked their city. And had attacked all of the southern part of Judah and the Philistine area. And had burned the city of Ziklag and taken all the wives and children captive. They hadn't killed anybody. There was no bodies there. So then when David came in and his, excuse me, his men, they saw this city burn. And all of the people were in such distress. They were all weeping and crying. Boy, this is starting early. He's calling her when he's got a problem. <laughs> Only those of you back there could see what I saw. <laughs> Baby's crying, so he's called her. No. Uh, anyway, uh, I, uh, I, I don't mean to be distracting. But nevertheless, you know, um, they, these people are so upset. All of their wives and all of their children are gone. And... These guys are not known to be particularly calm and steady men at the best of time. And now they are all in a 
hyper angry, hot-headed fury about the fact that their wives and their children are taken and they're all there just, blah, 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 blah. what are we going to do? Oh my goodness, oh! <laughs> and then they begin to get angry. And the scripture that we read said that they began to turn against David. You know, it is such a common thing that when we get into trouble, we seek to find some reasoning behind it, and if possible, someone to blame for it. And it usually is leadership of any kind. You couldn't pay me to be a politician, good, bad, or ugly. You know what? We need to pray for our leaders. God has commanded us to pray for Mr. Trudeau. We must pray for Mr. Biden. We need to pray for these men. We don't know where they're at with him, but God has saw fit to put them in that office. The Bible says that. And so we need to spend less time complaining about them and more time praying about them. Just saying, because I've said some things that I shouldn't have. So they said, David, it's all your fault that we're here. And David now enters probably the darkest moment of his entire life. Definitely one of the most dangerous. Probably one of the most difficult, dark, dangerous moments of his whole life. His men, his friends, are angry with him. And he knows what they can do. He has trained very treacherous and dangerous moment. You know, I've observed a little something about men. <laughs> I've never been married, but I have a tremendous observation and imagination. <laughs> and I have observed something about men. Men have tremendous difficulty in discerning difference between intense emotion. For example, Often men will confuse fear and anger. They're really afraid, but it manifests as anger. I, I've seen it in women, too. But usually you can tell when you have a car accident. Or if you have a little car accident, if there's two men, they tap bumpers on the parking lot. You know what happens? You got two roosters out there. <laughs> How many have seen that? Yeah, all the men, several women, yeah. But if two women bumper tap, you know what it is? Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? What a cute top you have. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I love the color of your nails. Oh, my goodness, where do you get them done? You know, I mean, like, really. Uh, you know, it's just this, this situation. Well, David's men were confusing fear for anger. And so they were just so in a flap, so fearful, so angry, and so they were accusing David. And David finds himself in the darkest moment of his life. Now, 
as I look at you, I would assume that none of you have dark moments. <laughs> However, I know enough about me to know something about you. And there are some of you who are in dark moments. Some of you have just come out of dark moments. Some of you are just going into some very dark moments. David was in the dark moment. This scripture in 1 Samuel 30, we'll put it up again. And David was greatly distressed. He was in angst. He was stressed. He was in despair. It was, it was such a difficult moment. Just the slightest wrong move on his part or anybody's part. And this whole thing could explode into a mass of riot and murderous, murderous fight. And he would be dead. Just, it was ready to explode. Everything was extremely dangerous and treacherous, just like our world today. And just like for some of you in your situation, at your job, in your home, whatever. Some of you walk on eggshells in your home. Some of you walk on eggshells at your workplace. A very treacherous moment. How many understand treacherous moments, difficult moments? Let me see your hand. Hold up your hand. Every one of you. How many right now, right now, there are certain things that it, it's like a dark moment for you. Just hold up your hand. Anybody. There, I see it. Yes. Half of you. Yes. Friends. What did David do? In the darkest moments of his life, how did he come through the darkest moments? I want to give you three points. You snitched my first one. But anyway, we're going to get to it. I want to give you three points. Three points. What did David do? Now, I'm the daughter of a farmer. I like feet. Firmly planted on the ground. I want to know the practical side of things. When this service is over, I want to have something in my hand that is going to help me when I'm driving through the traffic this afternoon. I want to have something that will help me when I am trying to sleep at night. When I'm trying to sort out some new thing. I need something practical. I like stuff Practical, hands-on practical. And so I'm going to give you three practical points that I find in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that David did in the darkest moment of his life. And the first one we're going to read again, verse 6. And David great, was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But as my friend said, David encouraged himself in the Lord. The point number one that I want to take from that is this. He kept his confidence in God. My point for you is keep confidence in God. Everybody say that. Keep confidence in God. 
When everything is shaken, keep confidence in God. It was the darkest moment, but God is still present in the darkness. God is still at work even when we cannot see what is happening. God has a big picture, a really big picture. Sometimes we see this little minute a few days or a few hours and we throw up our hands and say, oh, God, what's happening? It's all falling to pieces. But God has a big picture. In fact, he said that Jesus was crucified from the foundation of the earth. In other words, at the way at the beginning, God had an eternal plan that he was working God had an eternal plan in David's life. And God has an eternal plan in your life. At the beginning of COVID, I was in Europe. I had to come home uh, the, for after three weeks of a four-month tour that was planned. I had to come home. And I had now been uh, more or less... Uh, in the same house for two and a half years. I've never been so long in the same bed in my whole life. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, just saying. But, you know, um, I heard this line right at the beginning. Everything that is happening, God is either doing it or permitting it. Now, you just think about it. Don't jump all over it till you really think it through. God is either doing it or permitting it. You see, God has a very big plan. And in the minutes, some of the plan looks pretty distorted. The crucifixion looked really totally like a failure and distorted. But God was working to a great plan. And for this moment in David's life, it looked so distorted. It looked so desperate. It looked so uh, uh, dark. But God was in the process of positioning David to accomplish his purpose. You and I right now, through all of the stuff that you've been in or out of, is positioning us to accomplish his purpose wherever we are and whatever is happening. Since when does circumstance have something to do with putting God off? Everything has a purpose. Everything has a plan. We have to keep our confidence in God. Keep our confidence in God. David uh, encouraged himself in the Lord. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how this is going to resolve itself. This is so bad. This is so touchy. This is so tricky. Oh, this is such a difficult situation. But God, I've encouraged myself in you. I keep confidence in you. I have confidence in God. Confidence somehow, God, you're going to resolve this situation. You're going to direct me through it, in it. God, you are working something. He trusted that God was going to bring him through. You know, it's not about the problem. It's about our trust. Faith requires a revelation of God's intent. Yeah. 
But trust requires a revelation of God's character. Our understanding of his character, he cannot and he will not fail. He will never leave us nor forsake us. That is an eternal promise, not just for our little moments. It is an eternal promise. Keep your confidence in God. Whatever the darkness, half of you lifted up your hands this morning and said there's some kind of a dark thing in your life right now. Whatever is happening, keep your confidence in God. God, I will trust you. God, I will trust you. I don't know how or where, but I will trust you. Yeah, I heard a story. <laughs> it happened in the States. True story. There was a church. And then right next door, the building right next door, like right next door of this church, in moved a nightclub. A strip one. You know, I mean, the worst kind. Moved in right next door, this nightclub. And uh, the church was horrified. Oh, my goodness. You know, our kids are going to have to step over needles and bottles to get into the building every Sunday. And, and oh, my goodness, they're going to see all those lewd pictures advertising every day and everybody that drives by. They, they might, you know, it's so close to the church, we sure don't want to get them confused. <laughs> oh, this is so horrible. So they began to pray, Lord, oh, Lord, you just got to close that place up. And within a year, it did. It closed up and, and shut down. But the owner took the church to court and said in front of the judge, I lost my business because that church began to pray. It's their fault that I lost my business. I know what they were doing. They were praying against my business and nobody would come into my business. I lost my business because that, that church prayed. And the church said, oh, we didn't have anything to do with it. I mean, he just lost his business and well, surely it wasn't our fault. I mean, it just happens, you know, it was just, a, you know, just happens. And the judge said, we have here the most peculiar situation. We have the owner of a nightclub strip joint who firmly believes in the power of prayer and a church that does not. <laughs> you know, and that's true. You know how many times we pray, 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 and then we find out that God answered. <laughs> God answered prayer. Isn't that something? You know, I drove through that fire yesterday. I drove through that fire. And the helicopters were... I just didn't want him dumping water on my car. <laughs> uh, I like free car washes, but that would have been a bit much. But anyway, that, you know, it just, you know, God is at work. God is at work. Keep your confidence in God. I read this line many, several, many years ago, several years ago, and I've written it down. I've got it several places in my office and the other places. Listen to this. I think I got it out of Billy Graham magazine. Listen to this. Don't become so preoccupied and dismayed or dismayed by people or circumstances that you doubt 
God's ability to work things out in his time and in his way. Irene, how did you know that? <laughs> yes, it's a, powerful, it's a powerful line. She quoted it right with me. Okay, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to get you all to say it right after me, okay? Don't become so preoccupied or dismayed by people or circumstances that you doubt God's ability to handle things in his time and in his way. An atheist doesn't believe in God. He'll tell you that right up front. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in circumstances. Or, you know, it's just, you know, stuff just happens. I don't believe in God. But when we, who profess to believe in God, doubt that God can do what we ask him or doubt that God is in control of things, how are we different than an atheist? I mean, like, really? <laughs> Number two, what did David do? He kept confidence in God. Number two, I want to read verses seven and eight. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And in David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. You know, this pulpit could make me seasick. <laughs> sort of like some Christians I know. But anyway... Kinda. Anyway, but the point is, in those days, they depended on the priests or the prophets to get words from God. Now, sometimes it seems that David just, he was a prophet himself, and God spoke to him in his songs and different things. Uh, but for the most part, they did not have access as we have in the new covenant when we just come before God and ask for direction and and receive and just talk to God with, uh, you know, very great ease. So David with these 600 men, one of them was this priest that had escaped. And he called him and he said, okay, we need to hear from God. What is God saying? My point is this. He centered on solutions. Would you say that? He centered on solutions. So he kept confidence in God, but he centered on solutions. As a leader, it was a masterful plan. Instead of these men fighting each other, he suddenly was able to get them to focus on the real thing here. We got to get a solution. It was a masterful move as a leader. David 
said, we need to know what God is saying. And suddenly all these men settled down. They wanted to hear what God was saying. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? We need a solution. We need a solution. We got a big problem. We're missing our wives and our kids. We got a problem. What are we going to do about it? Are we just going to sit here and howl the rest of our life? Or are we going to get down to business and find a solution for this problem? I told you I got seasick from this. But you know what? We need to take this step. I have found so many people that are floundering around, and yes, their situation is difficult, and it's dark, and oh my goodness, there is so many, so much despair. Begin to seek the Lord for a solution. If you have a solution, you can begin to move forward. But as, this business of floundering around, it just, it just, it, it, it's just like this pulpit. You get seasick. You know, you, you got to get a solution. Seek the Lord. What is the solution that we can do here? Find a pra- what God is saying in a practical solution. You know, are you in debt and you don't see your way out? Cut up your credit cards. Pay your tithes. Oh, my goodness. I thought I'd get an amen. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, thank you. Is there bitterness? Then forgive. A practical solution. What is the solution? Is the car broke down? Then find a way to get it fixed. Is the toilet backing up? Well, fix it. Find a solution. Seek a solution. Don't just say, oh, we got this problem. Oh, we got a problem. (laughs) Get a solution. Seek God for a solution. Lord, I need a solution for this toilet. I need a solution for this car. I need a solution for my job. I need a solution for my education. I need a solution of how to manage a financial situation. I need a solution for dealing with this relationship. How many understand what I'm saying? In the darkest moment. Don't just collapse in a heap of victim. Poor me, I'm a victim. (laughs) David refused to collapse in despair as a victim of this, but he immediately began to seek for solutions. He refused to make excuses to remain a victim. Have you searched for a solution? Have you found it yet? That's good. If you haven't found it, keep praying and and seeking God for solutions. Solutions. I like solutions. I want to be able to deal with stuff. I got a new phone. It's driving me nuts. That's why I came to Surrey, so that Shalane could get me squared away with it. Oh, I don't like 
uh, tech. But anyway, we got to we got to recognize the world we're in. We got to move forward. So we pray for solutions in some way. It may not be Shalane, maybe somebody else. It might be mostly my attitude. We got to find a solution. <laughs> How many know exactly what I mean? Lift your hand. Oh. I tell you what. You know what? <laughs> David sought a solution. He said, God, what are we supposed to do? Should we go after this enemy or should we not? What, what are we supposed to do here? It changed the entire scenario of the dark moment. It changed the whole mentality of his men once they got a solution. Indecisiveness is a terrible place to live. Oh, I can't stand it. You know, indecisive. Well, should we do this? Should we do that? Well, yes, until you find out from God what to do. You, you need to, but the sooner you can make a decision, make a decision. God is big enough to close doors and open doors. God is big enough to help you. But for pity's sake, don't sit around saying, what should I do? What should I do? Oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, yo, yo, yo. Oh, yo, yo, yo. That's, that's Ukrainian for help. <laughs> Number three, what did David do? I'm coming into a great closing in about another hour, so hang tight. Okay, look at verse nine. So David went. Everybody say David went. David. He and the 600 men. That's all I want from that. Now I want to turn over to page the next one, and I want you to look at verse 16. We're going to just tell you this, that they They went. And then they found this slave, and the slave led them to where all these Amalekites were. Verse 16, and when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. Just stop there. We're going to read 17 in a minute. So now they knew what to do. God said go. So David went. Folks, it's one thing to find out what you're supposed to do. Then get off your duff and do it. <laughs> get your act together and do it. Do it now. Yeah. Amen, Shalane. Do it now. <laughs> do it now. Just He just, that's it. We're supposed to go, so. He got all of his men, we're going to go. And they got going. Uh, some of them had to drop out for fatigue and whatnot. But they ended up, he came, uh, and they were led to the place where there was four, the, all of these people, hundreds, sounds like thousands and thousands of these Amalekites and, and whatnot were all there. Uh, it sounds like they were kind of in a valley. And, and David was there with his the 400 men that were with him at that moment. And they looked it all over. It was in the twilight, the next verse says, so probably the evening, although it could mean morning, which is even a longer situation, but they came and they looked it over and the whole kid and Kabuta were all drunk. They had, I don't know how many sheets to the wind. They were absolutely sopping drunk. They were having a party. They were having a party. They were having a party. 
And the Bible says that David and his men, look at verse 17 now. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. How much time is that? If twilight is, was evening twilight, that meant 24 hours they went to fight. They hit them in the evening. They fought all night until the evening of the next day. And if that twilight means morning, that was eight, uh, 20, uh, 24 to 36 hours. 36 hours that they fought. Probably the 24. They just fought 400 men to thousands and thousands and thousands. Of course, they were all drunk, so didn't even know what hit them. You know, most of them. You know, they were, and David just, and his men just went slaughtering, and it says that there was only 400 of those enemies that escaped, and they were the only ones that <laughs> had enough sense to get away. You know, I mean, wow! My point is this. He continued with purpose. Everybody say that. He continued with purpose. My third point is he continued with purpose. What was my third point? My first point was he kept confidence in God. What was my first point? My second point. What? And the third point. In other words, now he knew what the plan was. He just got it together. And he and his men, and they went for it, and they went for it. And they fought all night. Sometimes you might have to fight all night for your kids and for your church and for your husband and for your wife. We don't fight with swords and spears. We fight on our knees. We can fight all night through the darkness, through the darkness. Not just a 24-hour night. Yes, that too. But it can also be through the darkness. You're fighting in the dark moments when your kid comes home and tells you a story that just curdles your blood. You just can fight in the darkness. He fought. Those men fought 24 hours. 400, only 400 men. And they fought. Boy, they had to be in good shape. Hmm, amazing. They continued with purpose. They had a purpose. They were going to rescue their wives and their children. I just come from Salmon Arm. I have a friend there. She's 86 years old. She was a missionary for years. I, we sponsored her and her husband in Brazil. Tremendous. The Trukovskis. I don't know if any of you know them. The Trukovskis. Anyway, wow. That woman inspires a dead stick to dance. And her husband, too. He's 87. And they're going all over the place. She said, I got vaccinated because there was no Christians left in the hospital because they couldn't go in there for various reasons. But she said, I decided that somebody had to go in that uh, hospital to preach the gospel. So I got vaccinated so I could go in the hospital and lay hands on the sick and visit the sick and bring the gospel of Jesus into that place. Whoa! 
Oh, that blew my socks off. I thought, glory, hallelujah. She said, a lot of people die because they got no purpose. She said she went to the doctor for something or other. He said, you're in better shape than I am. She said, that's for two reasons. Number one, I have a strong faith in God. And number two, I've got a purpose to live. And he said, really, what is your purpose? And so she told him an hour story about Brazil and uh, the hundreds and hundreds of children that they've worked with down there. And she said, and now I have a purpose, and that is to tell people about Jesus. Do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus? She prayed with that doctor. You know what, folks? We got a purpose. We got a purpose. We continue with purpose. We go with purpose to preach the gospel, to do the work of God. What the personal cost doesn't matter. And if you're counting personal cost, you're counting the wrong thing. Oh, I better move on quick. Number, that was number three. But now we're coming to the end. That doesn't mean anything, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Look at Second Samuel chapter 1. It's actually one page over. Second Samuel chapter 1. Check it out. Check it out. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziklag. Ziklag. He had abode two days in Ziklag. How long? It came to pass even on the third day. Now, the story goes on for actually two chapters, and it kind of, I, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to just point that out on the third day. So after two days, so they come back with their wives and their kids and, oh, they probably sleep for half a, a couple of days. But nevertheless, they are so happy and so tired and, and they're just, oh, they're in the camp lounging around for two days. Whoa, wasn't that great? Wasn't that amazing? And, and uh, being with their wives and kids and everything all over again. And wow, wasn't that a tremendous victory? And the third day, a servant comes from up north, Israel. The story is that at the same time, the exact same time, the exact same time, while David was fighting Amalekites in the south of Israel, in the Negev, up in the north of Israel, King Saul is fighting the Philistines. Very same time. And the Philistines win. And they kill Saul and his sons. At exactly the same time. While David is fighting down south. You get the picture? Exactly the same time. And the exact same time when David is killing those Amalekites. Saul and his sons have been killed in the north. It takes a while for the news to come. But on the third day, the news came. Saul is dead. 72 hours after the darkest moment, everything changed and came into place. And David discovered his destiny. 72 hours after the great distress. The 
darkest moment, the most dangerous moment, just hours away from the beginning of that whole purpose for David's life as king. It says in chapter 2, like it, it kind of goes, uh, several things had to take place and transpire. They didn't just go and stick a crown on them like King Charles III. They had to get a few things organized. And it says in chapter 2 and verse 4, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. It all happened. It all was set in motion just 72 hours after the darkest moment. The scripture I read at first says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I've noticed that even in Canada, on the darkest day, the darkest moment of the day, the middle of the night, the middle of the night, the very darkest moment of a moonless night, just before the dawn. That's the title of my sermon. The darkest moment is just before the dawn. When we look at the stuff that's happening in the world, don't get too distressed. Jesus said, when you see all these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Your redemption is near. Your redemption is near, one way or the other. One way or the other, we're soon out of here. Either here, there, or in the air, but we're out of here. You know what? <laughs> Folks, the darkest hour just before the... We're finished, but now we're going to do the work. Let's all stand. Father, in the name of Jesus... I ask that your Holy Spirit will move in every person here and whatever their darkness is or going to be. Whatever the situation has been, is, or going to be, I pray, Lord, that they will understand the principles, simple principles of your word that will help them through the darkest moment to go forward in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at Unit 2A, 13139 80th Avenue, Surrey, B.C., V3W3B1.